our memory verse for this month is James 1.5. Um, if you haven't gotten that, uh, I hope that you can. We are using the NRIV because that's what our children are using. And again, we wanna hide the word of God in our heart. If you'll say it with me, if any of you needs wisdom, you should ask God for it. He will give it to you. God gives freely to everyone and doesn't find fault. Ask. I can't wait. There's a message in a few weeks um, that specifically, I, I wanna talk about the fact that God expects us to ask. Like, I, I just really kind of want to hammer in on that. And, uh, and so, like, and you're kind of like, what are you trying to get after? I'm just like, I, God is, he tells us to ask. He tells us to come to him, as we're going to talk about a little bit today, as children. And children, until you've basically beaten it out of them, come to you just frequently saying, hey, daddy, mama, I want this, I need this. And they ask you for stuff again and again until you're finally worn out. Well, listen, our heavenly father tells us to depend upon him, trust upon him to meet needs, ask, seek, Knock, engage. Sometimes you might wonder if you're bothering God. The answer is no. Sometimes you should wonder, am I bothering God because I never come to the one that I call Father? Yes, that should register in our minds. That should register in there. So why in the world as a church would we fast? At the beginning of the year, it's fashionable. <laughs> it's fashionable, right? At the beginning of the year, new year, new you, let's fast, right? Some people use it even as a diet. And there's a lot of benefits to fasting, okay? Um, it's not meant to be, you know, when everything's falling apart and then you decide, okay, Lord, I've expended all of my energy, I'm coming to you now. We're trying as a church to do what? Recognize, first and foremost, go to, go to God with our praise, thanking, but also go to God with our needs, our supplication, all that which God provides for us so graciously. So one of the things I just want you to know, if you're new to the idea, you've never been to a church that fast at all, and you're just like, I don't know about this. One, it's okay not to know about this. Number two, it's okay to say, I like to eat. We all like to eat. Um, there's something totally wrong on the other side of the equation. If you don't like to eat, there's a problem there. Okay, so it's normal. But what it is, is Jesus said that when he is gone, his disciples, they'll do what? They'll fast. In Matthew 6, Jesus says this, when you what? When you fast. So it's like when you give, Right When you pray, when you fast, the assumption is that you're doing these things as a regular part of your Christian journey. Here's the thing, for a lot of us, we've never done it before. Some of you are brand new and you never had the opportunity placed before you, or you've never read it in the Bible yet, right? Some of you have been at our church for a long time and you've just never stepped out because you know it's gonna be uncomfortable. And so all I'm asking you to do is to pray about the fact, because there's a lot of times in scripture when we need direction from God, what do they do? They fast. Before they laid their hands on elders to send them out. Before they sent out Paul and Barnabas, they did what? They prayed and fasted before God. Fasting is another way of feasting upon the Lord. It's redirecting our attention from all the busyness, all the stuff. And so during the fast, what you're gonna find out, you're gonna find some of those things that just come up to your mind all the time, right? I mean, they're just overwhelmingly coming up again and again, whether it's food or whether it's social media or whether it's a TV show. Or You're gonna find out really quick what has your attention, and in some cases, what controls you? Fasting is a very, very powerful tool. And so, do you have to do it? Of course not. Am I gonna send everyone a text to remind you, did you fast today? No. Big boys and girls. I'm simply saying that you're missing out. And I don't want to. So we do that as a church. In August, three days, you choose. It's between you and God. Maybe it's a full fast. Maybe you eat in the morning before the sun comes up and eat at night after the sun goes down. Maybe you do half a day. I, I do not know. I just know do it with sincerity of heart 
in with devotion unto the Lord. That's, that's the one thing I do know. And then on Wednesday night, we're gonna break the fast together with singing of worship, stripped down, acoustic, piano, a few songs, taking of the Lord's Supper together as a family. Kids are welcome, you know, kids in here. And then we're gonna leave and we're gonna depart and we'll see you again hopefully Sunday. So turn with me in the text if you would. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Mark 10, 17. Every week we're talking about what do we need to learn about Jesus not only do we need to learn about Jesus, but as we reflect on scripture, James tells us that the word of God is like a mirror. And as a mirror, a mirror does what? It shows you what's there. Shows you what's in front of you. Because as long as you don't step in front of the mirror, you might feel fine, you know? You might feel great. Everything about you is better because you're comparing yourself probably to other people rather than to the full stature of Jesus Christ. I can't express how important it is, whether it's this church or another Bible-believing church that you attend and are a part of and faithfully commit to because you need this, and I do too. I can't express it enough how much I need it, and I know that you need it. We need to sing songs of praise, and specifically at the end of the service, we're gonna sing a song that we've never sung before. Most of you, I doubt, have ever heard it before, and I don't want you to try to sing to it unless you just want to. I really want us to soak in what it is, why are we here? What are we looking for? Because you're about to find somebody in the scripture today, real person, not a story, not a parable, though Jesus does those magnificently. You're gonna find a real person who looks just like us today, who ran up to Jesus, looked like he was full of devotion to God, had all the externals going on for him in every form and fashion, looked like God was just blessing everything he had, left and right, right, the Midas touch, he comes happy, leaves grieving. Because in reality, he didn't want God. He wanted his life to stay the same, short of a few small changes, as long as those were good for him. And he would add Jesus, add God to the side. And you see, that's what we're gonna find today. And sadly, for many, many, many Christians, or those who claim to be in America, Christianity is just something we sprinkle on on a Sunday morning. It's not a reality that we live out every single day. We give lip service to the idea of following Christ and carrying our cross, but are we willing to sacrifice anything for the call that Jesus places on our lives? And for many people, that simply is not the case, and therefore, I would say for us today, inspect the fruit in your life. If there is no fruit, then what do you have? What do you have? Mark 10, 17. And as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. 
It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but with God, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. And Peter began to say to him, see, we've left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who's left house or brother or sister or mother or father or or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, house and brothers and sisters and mothers uh, mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. And that is the word of the Lord this morning. It's a powerful story. It's one of those this week where I, I cannot tell you how many times I've approached it from different angles because you know, you, you're really trying to get a hold of what you're, gonna, what you're gonna be talking about, right? I mean, just like your job, I mean, you're, you're really trying to do what you do the very best that you can and so you wanna look at every angle, right? Sometimes it's like, how do I need to readjust asking the question? Am I asking it in the right way? Am I breaking it apart in the right way? And I, there's so many different ways you can approach the text and so, We literally could come back next week and hit it from a completely different angle and come out with so much that should change our lives. But this morning, I just kind of want to take a holistic picture and a holistic view of this young man who, again, had everything you could be looking for, right? I mean, it says that he ran up to Jesus. If you were rich, you did not run up to anybody, okay? If you were older, which we find out in, he's also in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, right? The same stories in each of those different gospel narratives. But if you had money or if you were older, you didn't run to anybody, right? That's what makes the prodigal son story so incredible, Luke 15. It says that the father, seeing the son from a far distance, humiliated himself and took off running after his son. And that's a picture of God towards us coming after us, right? It's a beautiful picture of what God does for us. And so here, not only did he run up to Jesus because Jesus was leaving the town, but he dropped down to his knees. And again, rich people don't do that. You can bow to them. You can lean to them because they're superior over other people. They got power over other people. They're not vulnerable. They're not dependent. You owe them. But yet he runs, comes to Jesus. Most likely he's young, Another thing that he probably is, because he's a Jew, he's not in the Roman military, like upper echelons. He's not that. Most likely, he's over a synagogue. He's not probably a Pharisee or a Sadducee. Most likely, he's over a synagogue, even at a young age. Normally, they were older. But this shows you that he's respected within the community, and this is an open area. This is not behind closed doors. This is not Nicodemus and John 3 meeting Jesus at night. This is not in a closed room. This is out in the open. As Jesus is getting ready to leave, he comes and he runs unto him. And I bet the disciples, not sure what to make of this guy, because they can tell he's rich. You can see it, right? Not sure what to make of him, and yet he's over here saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, jackpot. You trying to build a church? Whoo, that's your one. Man, go find those people who are moral and religious externally and go find those people who are seeker sensitive and who have the money to help you do what you got to do you know what I'm saying he should have been the one Jesus was like thank you father thank you father about time I have these ragtag bunch of 12 one of them's a thief and is going to murder me at the end of the day but here we go a good looking handsome young man religious moral he's what I want Jesus didn't say anything about that 
You see, even the idea of churches today, and there are very, very many of them, they won't use this term anymore because it's unpopular, but all these churches that are seeker-friendly, seeker-sensitive, right? That doesn't exist in the world of God. That's not in the Bible. There says, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one seeks after God. Look at the collage that Paul makes. Most of it's from the Psalms, and one of it's from Isaiah 59. But look at Romans 3 later on at your own time. He just puts together verse after verse after verse after verse. It's like a machine gun going down the list. No one's righteous. We like to call each other good. And that's what he did with Jesus. Now, is Jesus saying that, well, I'm not good, therefore I'm not equal with the Father and, and I'm not uh, the Christ? No. But what he is immediately challenging about this young man, and he challenges every single one of us today, what is your standard of good? Good is an absolutely direct term. There is one standard of goodness, and it is God. Bad is relative. You are bad in differing degrees, yet all sin damns us. You follow me this morning? Goodness, when it comes straight down to it, you're either as good as God or you're not. Therefore, Jesus has no trouble, no sugarcoating it to say this, you're not good. Every single one of us today, and that's not the message we want. We need to be hugged a lot. We need to be patted on the tail a lot. We need to be told that we're go-getters and we can do it. We can pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. And it's not that we aren't given things to do. Don't get me wrong. But when it comes to the moral absolutes, Jesus immediately is stopping him in his tracks. Why do you call me good? Because he doesn't know who Jesus is. He doesn't view Jesus. He says he's a rabbi. That means he gave him some respect, gave him some props. Hey, listen, I know you're not part of the fold, Jesus. I know you're not a Pharisee or a Sadducee. I know you're not coming from the upper echelon. I know you didn't have a schooling in Jerusalem, but I do recognize you do miracles. I do recognize you are a man of God. Therefore, rabbi, teacher, he rolls up to him, humbles himself, and says, man, I, I want to know what it's going to take. Now think about this for a second. Jesus begins to name off commandments. Did you notice something about the commandments? Right? This is where we get to learn, right? The commandments he gives in the Decalogue, right, the Ten Commandments, the first commandments are all about our relationship with God. You shall have no other gods before me. Jesus goes to the second part of the Decalogue, which has to do with what? Our relationship with one another. You shall not, what, murder, commit adultery, right, steal, right? You shouldn't do any of those things. He's dealing with his relationship with other people. And what does this guy say? Is he that haughty? Is he that arrogant? No, he's that superficial. Why do you say he's superficial? Because he full well knew the commands and felt that he had kept every single one of them. He, he, I, I didn't murder anybody. You see, he didn't get to hang out when Jesus was doing the Sermon on the Mount, did he? If you have anger in your heart, you're a murderer. There you go. If you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you're an adulterer. Jesus goes and says, listen, I know what you've heard said, but let me tell you. That's what he does. After every single one, he's like, I know what you've heard, but let me tell you, because he's going at the heart of God. They were able to say, you know what? Well, I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't stolen anything from anybody, or at least that wasn't owed to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, he didn't go after the hearts of God, and the law is meant to do what? It's a tutor. Galatians 3.24, it's a tutor that brings us to the knowledge of God. And what does it do? Romans 3.18.19, it shows us that we are incapable of keeping the law. Incapable. And what does Jesus do for him? 
Notice verse 21. I believe that's where it's at. Look at 21 with me. And Jesus looked at him. You ever just look at somebody? Now, some of us look at people with just that look of, you idiot. You know what I'm saying? And look, some of y'all are lying already. See, you're already breaking the commandment, and you're like, no, I don't ever do that. Yes. That's not Jesus' look, though. Look what he says. Jesus looked at him, looking at him, he loved him. I can imagine that the conversation is longer because Mark is being concise in, in some areas, and so I don't know if a tear went down his, his cheek. I, I, don't, I don't know. But he loved him. You know, in a world that's so confused about so many things, one of which specifically is, is love, this is what real love looks like. Jesus, it says in John 1, was full of what? Grace and truth. We have trouble with those, don't we? We either like to destroy someone with truth or we like to sugarcoat everything with a form of grace that leads them into all forms of different sin and we just say, listen, everybody's gotta make their own choice rather than speaking the truth in love with grace. Jesus loved him. And he said to him, you lack one thing. Did he really lack one thing? No, no, he didn't. He had broken every single one of those commandments. You ready for it? That day. He'd already broken them. James tells us, for those of us in here that are sitting, maybe those of you who are watching, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm a self-righteous man or woman. I've done it. I've earned it. James says this, you break one link in the chain, you've broken them all. You break one commandment, you've broken them all. Remember God's standard in Matthew chapter 19, the same story, I want you to look. Jesus says you want to be what, perfect? Matthew 5, 48, what does he say? You must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That is not a suggestion, that is a command, and that is impossible for us. And what does Jesus say about the rich man coming in? It's impossible. You know what that means for all of us sitting in here this morning? Without the salvation that only comes through the blood of Jesus Christ, you will go to hell. And you're like, I did not come to hear that today. Well, I tell you this, that young man did not come to hear what Jesus said to him that day, but you're gonna choose one way or another to leave here rejoicing because you know the one who grants salvation or you will leave grieved and sorrowed because you have rejected and counted this life as more important than the one to come. You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come. Follow me. Go sell it. All that you got. Jesus has never commanded anyone to do that. Chapter 19 of Luke, Zacchaeus, remember? Cute song we used to sing, right? He climbed up the sycamore tree, right? He's just climbing because he wants to see Jesus. He'd ripped off people for most of his adult life. And so finally he comes to Jesus and he says, I, I repent. I will pay back every single person I've defrauded fourfold and I will give away half of my money to everyone. And that was a what? It was a sign of a heart that had been changed. 
There is no way as a follower of Jesus Christ, hear me out, church, those who call this home, there is no way, it is impossible, it is impossible for us as Christians to not be generous people. Impossible. In the first place, when it comes to that, you should look at your bank account because if there is money going out every other place, then for the missions of God, you, you've got to check your heart. You've got to check where you stand. It is an impossibility to not have some spiritual issues going on there if you claim Christ and yet you give nothing to the cause of Christ. Impossible. He hadn't told anyone to do this. The widow's might, you remember that? She gave all that she had. She had nothing. She gave it all. Jesus said, that woman right there gave more than any of these other people because the other people who had lots of money, they'd always come in and they'd like a boom. They did it hit really hard because it was coins, right? So you could hear it. You knew. Oh, yeah, that was them. You knew. But he knew that this guy was completely deceived by wealth. And we see that all throughout the New Testament. We see it in the Old Testament, but specifically in the New Testament. If the Lord has blessed you with a lot of money, be so, 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 so careful because it is so easy to get deceived. It says in 1 Timothy 6, it is so easy to become haughty. It is so easy to trust in wealth that is temporal, that cannot save you and cannot uphold you. It is so, so easy. It doesn't say, Jesus never said this guy did it because he defrauded people. Jesus never said it's because you're a bad, crooked businessman that you got a one-up on somebody. It didn't never say that about this guy. He said that I know what the one thing is, and the man's just over here probably like, what is it? Give me the one thing. He says, you're breaking the first commandment. Did he ever say the first commandment? No, but you shall have no other gods before me, and what was his wealth, and what was his property? It was his is God. It is impossible, Jesus says, for a rich man to enter the dominion or the kingdom of God. Impossible. The disciples are like, are you kidding? Deuteronomy 28, verse 1 through 14, the old covenant promises Right, for, for the physical, literal, for the people of Israel, if you, you keep these things, I'm gonna bless you coming in and going out. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it to where you don't borrow, but you're only a lender. I'm gonna make it to where the windows of heaven overflow upon you. And they're over here thinking like, this guy is it. What they're thinking is, man, like God's blessing has gotta be upon him. He's religious, he's respected, he's rich. If he can't get in, who can? See how relevant this message is? None of us. That's the bad news. The good news is that Jesus came and died for our sins. He who was rich became poor so that we who were absolutely destitute might experience the riches of God. Every Sunday you hear that message and you reject that message. Remember who you're rejecting. It's not me. And he went away, look at this, verse 22, disheartened. 
He was disheartened. He was broken. He was sorrowful because he had what? He had too much possessions, too much land, too much money, too much stuff. Too much. Number one, if you're taking notes with me this morning, we're going to go through this pretty quick. Jesus' requirement is all of you, nothing less will do. Jesus' requirement is all of you, nothing less will do. Look on the screen with me, Matthew 16, 24 through 26. If anyone, that's us, that's us, anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? What does it matter? I know it right now. There's so many things in my life that matter to me. But if I'm on my deathbed next week, I guarantee you 90-something percent of those things will not matter at all. They won't. They will not. And that's why he's warning us. Jesus talks more about money than anything else in the Bible because he knows the power and the seduction. He knows it entangles us. He knows that it causes us to do some of the most ignorant things under the sun. He knows it. And he also knows, he knows what we're looking for, but he knows that we're looking in all the wrong places. And so sometimes he has to have that conversation with us to say, I know what you're missing. You're missing God. You're missing me. I know what you're missing. Did everybody give up all their possessions? No. Everyone in here need to give up all their possessions? No. But I guarantee you there's a lot of us sitting in here who need to learn how to be generous and reflect Jesus Christ. I guarantee you that one. Guarantee it. Some of you may be asking, like, I didn't sign up for this. Isn't this a good time to figure out what did you sign up for? Isn't it, I mean, isn't it a good time? Because this man has spent his entire life living an external religious reality. And his sandcastle was phenomenal. Woo-hoo. Best one on the beach. Everybody wanted to be this man's friend. But it was still a sandcastle. He was still building his own kingdom. And it takes a true king, a real king, an eternal king to come and destroy that which will damn you so that you might receive that which will eternally bless you. And that's exactly what Jesus does. I want to ask you that question again. I don't know if this is what you signed up for. But if you're not all in, then you're all out, okay? Now, are we learning and are we growing? Yes. Do we have it all figured out? No. But is this stuff here today worth more than Jesus? See, it was not a hard thing for Jesus at all to tell this man to give it all up. Jesus had given it all up. Came from heaven to save us from hell. That's the God we serve. Timothy Keller says this, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Let it soak in just for a second. 
An idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, right? You, you treasure it. Does that mean the stuff that's out there is bad, all of it? No, there's a lot of wonderful things, but do not elevate them. Do not let them compete. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give, anything that is so central and essential to life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. That's your idol. And this is why I said in the beginning why I think for so many of us, in whatever form you choose, that's between you and God, that you should fast for these next three days. Realign your life. Refocus what matters. Keep your eyes on Jesus. All in or all out. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where the moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus tells us, store up treasure. He says it. It is not wrong. Are you following? It's not wrong, the inclination in your heart. It's not wrong. What is wrong, Randy Alcorn says it better, what's stupid, he said it better. What's stupid is to pile up a ton, never to be generous, and still always be lacking. Still always be lacking. And you're like, well, I'm eating good. I'm not lacking nothing. Then why is your soul so empty? Why do you always have to go from one thing to the next and one girlfriend or boyfriend to the next and one, why? why? Second, the invitation to follow Jesus is delivered to all, but many will reject it. Many will reject it. He came running, yet he left grieving. The price to follow Jesus for him, it was too high. Is it too high for you? Is it too high? Is it too high? Well, who can be saved? Turn, turn back just one page, if you would, depending on how your Bible sets up. Mark 10, 13. He tells us, you want to know who enters the kingdom? You want to know what type of person and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus saw it, and he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them for, ready? For such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, it's like, amen. Let me get your attention. I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them into his arms, and he blessed them, laying his hands upon them. Are you, you fall, that's the one. Now, what's a child? What does that mean? That means we need to, to, to be ignorant about life and to be ignorant about things? No, no. What does a child do? Unless you're a horrible parent, the child trusts you. 
And you're like, you shouldn't have said it that way. Well, <laughs> he trusts you. She trusts you. She, she comes up to you. A child trusts you only up until the point where finally they've been knocked in the head enough times, finally been let down enough times, finally have been hurt enough times until they're hardened that then they no longer trust you or pretty much anyone else. That's what happens. What does a child naturally do? I love it. Beckham's like 18 months old. Like all he wants to do is hang out with us. All he wants to do is spend time with us. All he wants to do is yank at her clothes. And half the time we're like, please give us a break, right? He wants us because he's ready. He depends on us. He depends on us. He is vulnerable without us. He would die. He clings to us because he knows he will receive love. Even though he can't say the word love yet, he knows he's experienced it. So he knows what it is. Do you see now why it's so hard for the rich to humble themselves. Do you, do you now you see why it's so hard and why he's saying it to him? Because it's so easy to say, I don't need anybody. I don't need to depend on anybody. I'm not obligated to anybody. You, do you see what I'm saying? Do you, you see what he's saying? This is a text. Those who come must come recognizing and continually living in what? Full dependence upon God. That's what he's saying. So does that mean I need to be a young person to come to Jesus? No. Does that mean I need to be an old person? No. That means when I come, I need to fully recognize that there is no one good but God, and therefore if no one is good, then all of us deserve the penalty of death, which is what? Eternal separation from God, torment. But he doesn't give that to me. He doesn't give me what I deserve. He gives me all that I could never even know to ask for. Listen, I settle for mud pies. I settle for the cheap stuff. I, I settle for the, the, for the things that flash. I settle for the temporal things. I settle for all the stuff that in eternity's viewpoint, I'm just gonna look back and be like, golly, Lord, you are so patient because I'm such an idiot. Seriously, that's what we settle for. And Jesus is saying, you don't understand. And there we go. Last point, I'll close here. Last point, those who follow Christ can't even begin to fathom all they have gained, Okay. They can't even begin to fathom. His disciples said, well, what about us? We left it all. I mean, wife's back at home, Peter would say. Kids, if he's got them, they're back home. I mean, all of our, we, we left the boats. Remember, they were mending their nets. They just left it all. They left their father too, and that's a big deal in this culture because they all do the same business. He's a fisherman, you're a fisherman. Your kid's a fisherman and their kid's a fisherman. Like it's all one big deal. And they left because they counted Christ more worthy of the time and the devotion. They counted the cost and though they didn't know all that was ahead of them, they found him worthy to follow him and to do what? Take up a cross. Paul says, in Philippians 3, 7, if y'all look on the screen, but whatever I gained or whatever gain I had, I count as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the sur surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish. That word there literally means cow dung, refuse. in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends 
on faith. Look at that last word there. Depends. It depends. We depend on Jesus. When I thought through all this stuff this morning, I just, I just kept grasping like, <laughs> I wish I could say I felt super prepared. I don't. And then like, it's just like hit me like a ton of bricks. This man was unwilling to give up the temporal for the eternal. This man was short-sighted. All I could see was the immediate, the pleasure that came with the riches of this life. And then I went, don't tell me how, I just feel like the Lord was just sharing with me, bringing into remembrance. Genesis 22. The Lord said to Abraham, tomorrow morning, you take your son, your only son, and you sacrifice him to me. There was nothing more valuable in his life. Nothing worth living for more in his life. The promise of posterity to come after him, the, the, the promise of legacy, the promise that God had made. I mean, all these things are hinging upon this one child, Isaac. It says he woke up the morning. Y'all check it out on your time. Woke up the next morning early. Got up quickly. Grabbed a few servants. Donkey, his son, wood, knife. They took off. That was everything to Abraham. And up to the point that he pulled the knife up, did the Lord speak unto Abraham and say, stop. For the Lord will what? Provide sacrifice in the valley. He'll provide. Genesis 22 comes all the way to Jesus. And the true sacrifice has come. The one who paid it all. The one who gave it all. The one who gave it up so that you and I might know him personally, intimately, and be experientially knowing the riches for all of eternity that make anything that you could possibly grab here absolutely like filth to you. When you see what neither eye has seen nor ear has heard, what the Lord has prepared for those who, whom he has. Trent, if you'll come up, man, this song that we're about to sing is one, that if you want to sing, lyrics are going to be on the screen. But sometimes I think we get caught up on, on words. Um, and not that words aren't important, but what I mean by that is like we get caught up just trying to say what he's saying. And I think this is just a wonderful time to soak in this moment. This moment in reflection, because this song speaks specifically about the joy that we will have one day and can experience today because of what Jesus has done. Let's stand, let's pray. Father. Lord, do a work in our hearts. Draw us near to you, Lord God, in greater ways than maybe we've experienced. For some of us in such a long time, and for some people, they've never, they've never experienced it. Lord, may we reflect on the lyrics that are being sung 
in this song and, and it felt prompted, Lord God, that we would come and receive prayer or we'd come to the front and just pray and just empty ourselves out before you, Lord God. Empty ourselves so that we might be filled back up, Lord God, and just, just tell you how much we love you today. Tell you how much we enjoy being in your presence and being with your people today. And that how much we needed this and glad we were able to come and, and glad we're able to hear the word that bathes us, Lord God, and cleanses us as we go back out into the week and into the world to proclaim the goodness of Jesus. Father, may this song as we close this service reflect your glory and your worth properly in Jesus we pray.